Hi there, this is Watching, and you are now listening to I Choose the Ladder, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. In today's episode, you meet Dorothy Capers, an executive vice president and global general counsel of National Express Group. National Express Group is a publicly traded transportation company on the London Stock Exchange as an FTSE 250 company with subsidiaries in the United Kingdom, Spain, Morocco, Germany, and North America. Dorothy oversees a diverse legal team across the globe that supports the company in the areas of corporate governance, finance, regulatory compliance, mergers and acquisitions, employment, labor, litigation, environmental, real estate, and corporate contracts. Dorothy is a member of the senior executive team reporting to the chief executive officer. Prior to joining National Express in June of 2015, Dorothy was Associate General Counsel, Chief Litigation and Bankruptcy Lead for U.S. Foods. Before joining U.S. Foods, Dorothy has worked extensively as a litigator in the state, county, and local government, as well as in the private sectors for law firms and corporations. Her government experience includes her leadership as a deputy corporate counsel with the city of Chicago and as a prosecutor for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Dorothy has been actively involved in the community for many years as a mentor and board member in various civic, nonprofit, and cultural organizations. Dorothy currently uh, sits as a member of the board of the Illinois Equal Justice Foundation, Children's Home Aid, and the Chicago State University Foundation. She serves as a mentor for the Chicago Urban League Impact Program. Dorothy Dorothy earned her JD from Howard University School of Law in Washington, D.C., and her BA from the University of Illinois at Champaign. As you will see, Dorothy has accomplished so much. We talk about, you know, starting the Martha's Vineyard Comedy Fest to leaving government to go and work in the private sector and all the lessons that she's learned away. So as always, take out your notepad and your pen and get ready for these gems. Hey guys, I'm super excited today. We have Dorothy with us. Let me tell you, I have been reading so much about her. Her life is just fascinating, y'all. Like, I feel like she should have a reality show, but I don't think she would. Uh, but so, Dorothy, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so the first things first, like I just asked this question. So you are a pretty serious attorney who does work like globally, right? You manage a global team, but you're also the founder of a comedy festival on Martha's Vineyard. Like how, what, how did that happen? So it happened by uh, happenstance, actually. My husband used to work for Comedy Central for many years and after a good run with them, uh, he left them and said, what am I going to do next? And we vacation on Martha's Vineyard. And I said, you should bring some of the comedy events here to Martha's Vineyard. It's a, um, an island. People can't get off. They're here. They need things to do. They would love to laugh. They're on vacation. It's family friendly. We should do something. And uh, nine years ago, we had a very unsuccessful first stab with uh, probably 10 people in the room. And this year we had three sold out weeks, four shows each week, uh, amazing uh, results. And we are sponsored by some very, uh, very great sponsors, including HBO. And we've just had a great run. So you just said your first attempt at the comedy festival was unsuccessful. A lot of times people would just like pack it up and say, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Like, What made you all okay with investing again in a year or two just kept moving forward we kept tweaking it we the first year we did it in a venue that did not provide alcohol interesting oh. thing 
comedy, um, people laugh a little more when they've had a drink or two. <laughs> um, so that was the first thing, you know, finding a good venue, right? And mm-hmm. we've had probably five venues since we've been there. We finally, in the last two years, have found one that we really like. Okay. Um, so venue, shopping, um, marketing, and strategizing. And then when HBO came on, they also sponsor the African American Film Festival. It was a marriage of two great brands, and so it really helped us move the ball. Got it. So, um, y'all, I know we're going all over the place. This is the normal like route, but just go with it for this time. Um, so, how do you manage having a really, really um, serious job and kind of a huge job, but also having a brand that's pretty visible that's your own, right? I know a lot of times people are talking about side hustles and and doing all of that, but like you actually have a job and a company. So, how have you been able to like make that work in a way that doesn't maybe um, upset or make your your employer seem insecure, but that also helps your business thrive? So um, it doesn't really impact my employer, to be honest. I mean, first of all, it's seasonal. So it's generally for August of one, you know, one month out of the year. I do a lot of prep, obviously, work with my husband before that. And that doesn't really impact things much at all. It's really me. I'm the one who is working the later hours mm-hmm. and doing the other grind to try to get some of that done. Um, you know, I'm researching what are the best places for us to 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 uh, house our our comedians. I'm also looking at various sponsorships, and then I try to dovetail the two. Mm-hmm. So many times I'll go to a legal conference or a conference, a leadership conference for women. Um, I was recently at Odyssey Retreat Network in May of this past year, and I mentioned the comedy fest, and women were like, "I've been to it. I go to it. Oh my God, I know it." Let me figure it out. Hey, I'm with this company. I'm with that company. Let me see how I can get you some sponsorship. Mm. So sometimes it dovetails together. Um, I went there for my own professional development as a lawyer, but it turned out to be a great win-win for me as an entrepreneur as well. So you talk about being a lawyer. I know you went to undergrad at U of I. Um, Did you always know that you would want to be in law or how did that part of your life come about? Interestingly, I've been asked this question before and people chuckle, but I used to be uh, watched, babysat, if you will, by my grandmother, who loved Perry Mason. <laughs> and I used to sit and watch it with her for hours. And I thought, dun, dun, dun. I love that. You know, I was like, oh, this is great. I want to be that person who has the smoking gun and wins the case. And then we had family friends who were very involved in the law. Um, Wiley Branton Sr. is a civil rights icon, mm-hmm. um, represented the Little Rock Nine, very involved in voter registration in the South. Mm-hmm. They lived a couple doors from us growing up. Okay. He's now a deceased partner at Sidley in Austin. Mm-hmm. I watched him. He was also the dean of Howard Law School, mm-hmm. uh, which really kind of gave me the thought that maybe I should go there mm-hmm. as well. And so... Um, really just bringing together kind of that initial Perry Mason thought mm-hmm. with some real icons that I knew and lived next door to and saw what they did for their community and how it impacted the world. And mm-hmm. I thought, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then can you think about, uh, think back to like your first job out of law school, right? So you grew up in a pretty, a black, you know, black heroes within the civil rights movement. You ended up getting your um, JD from a historically black college. And then was your first job also like in a very black world or was it something completely different? Well, um, interestingly, I worked for one of my professors right out of law oh. school. He uh, taught us criminal procedure okay. and I thought he was just amazing and I learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the semester, he said, hey, I'm looking for a law clerk for next year. 
I put my name in and went through the application process and I, I got the job. So I worked for him for one year out of law school. It was awesome for me. I wasn't a great writer. I was an okay writer. It really pushed the ball there. Mm -hmm. um, working for an African-American male uh, on the bench, of which there weren't many in Washington, D.C. at that time, mm -hmm. was also awesome for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really helped me kind of see full circle all the things I had done in law school mm -hmm. and how it applied to the real world. So when you decided to transition from that job, what did that process look like for you? Well, first of all, it was moving home. Um, I had taken the bar in Illinois and okay. passed the bar in Illinois and wanted to come home at some point. Mm -hmm. The clerkship was one year. Mm -hmm. I decided I'm going to come home. Came home with no job and kind of was like, huh, what am I going to do now? I had been given an offer to work for the state's attorney's office right out of law school, okay. but I declined it to take this clerkship. I came back and they were like, yep, all full at the end. Oh, no. No, no, no jobs. So <laughs> I kind of networked here and there. And um, Randy Stone, who was the public defender for Cook County at the time, was also a professor of mine at Howard. Okay. And I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I'm back in town. Any chance you have any op openings? And he's like, actually, I do. I'm um, an incoming class of new assistant public defenders. Would love to have you join them and let's do it. So that was my first job when I got back to Chicago. Hmm. And you've talked, you've mentioned about three or four people who I think have been, were instrumental in kind of your development in the beginning of your career. Like how has your um, mentorship, like uh, being mentored, how has that played a part in your development? And how do you look at mentors now at the level that you are? It's critical. I don't think you can make it through your career without having mentors. Mm -hmm. All of the folks I described or not only mentors, but also probably sponsors in some way, of mm -hmm. just putting my name in a hat mm -hmm. for things that may have provided opportunities. And I continue to, to draw and, and identify mentors along the way. Mm -hmm. I can name hundreds of people that I've touched base with, mm -hmm. probably a core of 20 that I call my board of directors, mm -hmm. and they are my folks I go to, and they have been with me throughout my career. They tell me when things are absolutely crazy, don't do that, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and they also tell me when I should really take a risk and say, you know, you should do that. Mm -hmm. Here's what's probably going to land you, one way or the other, and what's, what's the hurt? So mentorship to me is critical. I really feel like people should always seek out mentors um, and and sponsors you don't always know you have um, mentors you pick you mm -hmm. go okay I would like for you to work with me I'd like to have lunch with you here's where I want to go with my career can you help me navigate the waters whatever it may be mm -hmm. but sponsors sometimes you don't even know that you have them it's because of the work you've done and they're in the room mm -hmm. and they mention you as a person who can get the bone for whatever they're trying to do and that's, that's the thing that has been awesome for my career, but many times I didn't even know they existed. Mm -hmm. And what do you think maybe like a misconception that young people may have about the role of a mentor in their lives? Um, I think, first of all, I think that many young people are afraid to create a mentorship relationship. Um, what I see a lot of young people doing is being afraid to network um, and really getting out there. Mm -hmm. um, I see people go to conferences and I say, oh, what'd you get out of it? Oh, so many people. I didn't really meet anybody. Blah blah. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta do that. You gotta walk in the room. You gotta pick ten people. You gotta say, hey, I'm just gonna introduce myself, exchange business cards. What do you do? Mm -hmm. And establish a relationship. And I think the relationship building, because they're so drawn to phones, text, social media, they do things not face to face. Mm -hmm. They do mm -hmm. things more technology based. That it's hard for them to network and really mm -hmm. push, push, push. So I would say that the networking part leads to the mentorship, and I think that's what 
um, will help them create the next step in their career. And what, in your opinion, makes a good networker? Because I know a lot of times people go and they don't even look at you in the eye. They just ask you a business card. They take it. They never call you back. And then they're like, I networked today, right? Which is not networking. So for you, what do you think makes a good networker? I think being authentic, Um, Mm -hmm. not just there because you're just trying to find a name and try to get a job or trying to find someone who will help you, Mm -hmm. but being there to really understand what that person is doing, have an interest in that person. Maybe you can help them. Frankly, it could be a two-way street. So really going in there in, in, a, um, in a way that makes you open to any new experience and engaged in people, eye to eye, let's talk, let's like really listening, not just talking. Mm. Um, and then for you in the job that you have now, because when I looked at all of the, the regions that you covered, um, and as a black woman too, right, that's, from what I know, that's pretty rare um, to have that level of responsibility, that high of visibility in an industry that's not necessarily like, it's not a soft industry, right? It's automotive, not automotive, but it's transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you balance showing up as your authentic self in those spaces, knowing that you're one of the few black women who kind of hold your position? Um, I'm the only black woman who's ever held that position. And um, to date, I'm the only black woman who's ever been on our executive team of our company. Um, what? So- Did y'all hear that? The what? Yeah, it's so there are are many hurdles and boundaries along the way, and many times I have to use those opportunities to teach. Um, I'll give you an example. We hired a woman sight unseen. She was a lawyer for us out of a firm, and she done work for us for many years, but wanted to come in house and work for us at the company. I talked to her on the phone. I said, hey, you've done great work for us. We have this opening. I'd love you to come on board. Sounds good. She comes on board. She comes into the office, and one of my colleagues saw her and said, oh, Dorothy hired another one of her friends because she was a black woman. Oh. And I just had to stop the conversation and say, nope, didn't know her, never met her. In fact, my predecessor, a white woman, hired her as one of our outside counsel. That's how I know her. So many times I just had to stop, you know, like the like uh, um, the needle on the record, <laughs> record player. And just go, no, 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 no. Let's let's get back to what's at hand and let them understand that no, that's not what's happening here. Um, not building a whole brand of black women in the office that know me. Um, I'm re- I'm building a team of people who do excellent legal work. If it happens that they're black or Asian or Hispanic, Latina, whoever, great. But that is not the dynamic. Um, so many times I'm faced with those types of challenges. Um, and I also speak up very loudly for things that come up. We, we recently had an issue where an African-American gentleman in the U.K. felt discriminated against. And um, a lot of folks didn't know how to manage it. And I mm. said, hey, why don't we reach out to him and talk to him, find out what's going on. Maybe there was an issue that we had on, on one of our trains or buses that you know, made this happen, made, mm. made this a reality. But I think that they're just not sure how to go about things. And I just feel that my role is to step in, take c- control of those types of situations and show them that diversity is alive and well, does exist, and here's the value that it brings. And then in those, um, I don't know if tense is the right word, but in those kind of more serious conversations, do you ever wonder, do you ever um, take into account like not wanting to play into stereotypes of maybe like, being the angry black woman, if you're too assertive or, or just like your communication style around sensitive topics because you are a black woman. So I never really think about being the angry black woman because I always really show up as my authentic self. 
And if it happens that anybody in the room has what I would call really loosely bad behavior because they're yelling or shouting, I mean, it doesn't make a difference who you are. There's no place for that. Mm -hmm. So there's a way to come in and really make your position known and not have to cause this big boo-ha-ha where everyone's like, why are you screaming? Why are you yelling? Why are you raising your voice? But simply, here's the point I'm trying to make, and let's all talk about it and debate it. Mm -hmm. So I don't really, you know, I don't enter the room like that, and and I I know people who do. Um, People get labeled that way sometimes, Mm -hmm. unfairly, Mm -hmm. but I really just show up authentically, and it is what it is, and they accept it or don't. Mm -hmm. And then... Y'all can't see her, but she showed up in here with this fly haircut. Like, she looks amazing. Um, But it's natural, right? Have you thought about, like, what was that process like? Because I think, especially, like, legal and all, like, it's a very straight hair or pixie situation. And you have a pixie, but not, like, a traditional pixie. So, like, what was that process like? I've been through the process. So, I think that I, I go back to exercise. Exercise strengthens your mind, your body, your soul. I used to be uh, thwarted from my ability to exercise because I was always worried about my hair. So my hair was really not a, a byproduct of my job. It was mm-hmm. really like, I got to figure out what I can do to create mm-hmm. the best person I can be. And in doing it, I decided to go natural because I was tired of being a slave to, I can only work out these three days because I work out this day. Then my hair is going to get messed up and then I'm not going to look right and I got a meeting. So I just decided to go natural and I've lived it. And I think you just have to uh, own it and Mm -hmm. not be ashamed or afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And I just show up. I have to tell you, when I first went natural, my company people would go, oh, that's a new hairstyle. And I'd go, yep, sure is. And we just keep it moving. (laughs) That is a hilarious. The fact, when did you go natural? Um, probably three years ago. That, four the, years ago. So in 2016, people are still mm-hmm. like, huh, huh, yeah, hmm. huh. okay, capers, you know, nice hairstyle. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> you just move along. Yeah. Um. So your current company that you're at, obviously, it's not the first one that you've been at in your career, right? You've had a pretty um, phenomenal career. How have you known when it's been time for you to move on to the next thing? I think it's when you're not learning and growing and stretching. Um, I think each time I'm at a role, I have always tried to get the next big grasp of information, you know, experience, know-how, skill set, relationship building, whatever it may be, to go to the next step. You want to take what you learn everywhere, every along the way to the next role. When I get to a point where it's not happening for me. It's usually like, okay, I'm not sure where I'm going here. This is mm-hmm. kind of done. Let me move on to the next. So you mentioned earlier that the woman that you hired was, um, you were her client. Did you feel any kind of, um, it's a selfish question. Did you feel any kind of like, I don't know, like guilt around taking someone from someone who you had a relationship with to bring them in-house? Or like, what was that process like for you? No, in fact, I have hired, I have diversified the legal department. When I got there, there was no one of color. I walked in the door as the first person of color, as lawyer, um, and um, we now have five, four, five uh, African American lawyers, and um, I have done a really good job of bringing people in the door who have a very strong skill set, understand what's happening, understand how to build the best brand for the company, do mm-hmm. the best work for the company, and I'm never ashamed of doing it. A couple of them I knew pre- previous to coming into the company. I knew that they did were you know really their bosses? Good. I did. And I knew one of them, like, 
called me and said, I can't believe you're taking her. And I said, you know what? I get it. But she's really good, and I think she's ready for the next role. And she'd say, yeah, you're right, but gosh, we're going to lose her. I get it. But at the end of the day, I have people right now that I'm pushing saying, all right, you know you're ready to go to the next level. So I've never been that person to say, I own you. You, you have to stay here. I have mentored and assisted people leaving me mm. because it was the best role for them mm. to move on to the next role. Mm. Good to know. Um, have you? Can you think back to a time in your career where maybe you felt stuck? Because I know a lot of what happens in our Facebook group and the emails that I get are people just feeling like they're stuck, right? They're like, I'm in this job. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not learning anymore. I've talked to my manager. Like, so can you think back to a time maybe where you may have felt stuck and like, what are some tangible things or questions maybe that you asked yourself to get unstuck? I was stuck before I went in-house to corporate America. Mm -hmm. I started my career as a government lawyer, worked Mm -hmm. different, you know, the city, the county, public defender. And I did a lot of government work I felt really, really good about. But at the end of the day, I have two children. I needed to build some wealth. Government wasn't paying me what I need to pay to put them through college. Mm -hmm. That was one. Two, I felt like I needed a different mindset, skill set that I wasn't getting from government. Mm -hmm. Although it provided a great training ground, I wanted to take it to the next step. So I began to go out and talk to people. And what did people say? Oh, you should have, you need to go to a law firm first. You need to work two or three years in a law firm, or, you know, you can't just go from government to in-house. That just doesn't happen. And people would just, you know, stop you in your tracks. And I felt stuck for a long time. I felt stuck for a good year or two, Mm. where I just felt like I could not get out of government. As much as I'd worked hard and really risen to the top of my game there, I just could not get out. And someone I met with at one point told me, take all the skills that you have and make it more corporate speak. You know, you're saying, hey, you have all these, these uh, trials you've done, and you've worked on this project for the city, and you've worked on that project for the city. Take all that experience and figure out how you can transition it to corporate speak so they get it. Mm-hmm. How did you save them money? How did you build the brand? How mm-hmm. did you do the things that, in the corporate world, they're only really interested in, right? Um, and so I tra- transitioned my resume and my speaking points and my elevator speech to be more corporate speak, mm-hmm. and it really helped me. Um, so I just had to kind of navigate the waters, but I was stuck for a while. I'm really depressed about it. Just couldn't understand how I was going to break through. Mm. And I finally just kind of shifted the game. Mm. So making sure, and we've talked about this before on, on previous podcasts, that you are building the bridge for the person who's looking at your resume, that this is, so you've done this. How does that relate to, or what's the equivalent for the job that you were trying to get at the time? So good. Um, so for you right now, we'll get back to the kids because I did, she has two kids, y'all, and a whole husband, and a whole job, and a whole business. Like this is a whole lot, but we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> later. Um, in your current job, what skill sets did you have to develop as maybe an entry level person and a middle manager to be able to be successful in the seat that you sit in now? In the current role, mm-hmm. um, I would say a lot of listening. <laughs> Um, I also call my lawyers the air traffic controllers. So as in-house, you have competing interests. Mm -hmm. You have a goal, but you have safety who wants it one way, HR who needs it this way, Mm -hmm. operations who says it can't happen this way because it's going to cost us more money. And many times we and legal are presented with a problem that we have to fix, and we have to bring all those different entities together, Mm -hmm. and they usually all have competing interests. So the goal is 
how do you try to get all of them on this, the right page that they want to be on, but still meet the goal? Mm. And so I think the biggest way we do that is to be business partners. We have to understand the business cold. You can hire a lawyer any day. You can walk down the street. You probably bump into five lawyers just walking <laughs> down the street. Sure. A lawyer, you know, legal experience is great, but that's not all when you're in-house that it's supposed to be, that it should be. It should be more about what the business goals are. And mm -hmm. so one of the big things that I think I always search for and try to do the best of my ability is getting them to yes. Mm -hmm. It may not always be yes. It might be yes, but. Mm -hmm. But I try to get them as close to their goal as possible. And in order to do that, you need to understand how the business operates. You need to understand what all the interests are. You need to understand the financials. You mm. need to understand, you know, any regulatory concerns or things like that so that you can pull it all together in a cohesive way. Mm. So I think that is something that people need to know when they're coming in, as, especially as younger lawyers. Don't just come in saying, well, the law says X. I can hire someone to say that. Mm. I need you to tell me why it applies to this company and why it's important for this goal. Mm, got it. Um, and so you talked a, a bit about, you know, learning and you were at a conference for your own professional development. Outside of your law degree from Howard, what do you think the best investment that you've made in yourself as it pertains to your professional development has been? Really going to those types of conferences, I really try to get out of my... Um, of my own way by not just streamlining and through the law. Um, one example was the retreat I went to where there were, you know, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, most of which were not lawyers, people mm. who were doing all kinds of things. I also think that um, having a core group of people around you, not just in your field, who you know who are in finance or, you know, are in marketing can support you to show how things can be looked at holistically. Mm. Um, and so education is one piece, but it's not the end of the day. It's not every single thing you need to be thinking about. It's how do these things all come together? And mm. you can get learnings from any of those different curriculums. Mm. And so I really, really work hard to engage with people, hear about what they're doing, learn about what they're doing, attend conferences. Um, I'm in a sorority, and I do a lot of work with the sorority. I meet a lot of people doing that. I do a lot of service. Mm. I like to provide service in various ways to various uh, organizations. I learn a lot through that. Mm. And I think all of that makes you a more well-rounded person and able to move your way through the best channel that you can. Mm. And then, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, with young lawyers coming in and being like, well, this is what the law says. Are there things, because you do manage a pretty, well, a more diverse-ish kind of team and you've managed people in the past, are there things that you see young black women doing in the workspace that may be holding them back unconsciously or consciously that their counterparts are not doing? Um, one is I always, always still struggle with black women in their dress. Um, I, I really think that women need to be, and not just black women, but women need to be very cognizant that people are looking at them differently because mm -hmm. they're um, and so they need to be professionally dressed. Mm -hmm. um, I am a big, this is probably poor to say, and, and, and unless there is some religious reason why, I don't think there's a place for a head wrap in a mm -hmm. corporate office. And there are women who walk in and they, that's how they want to be. And I understand that, but they have to understand their audience. And everyone's not going to accept that. Mm -hmm. And so what I find sometimes is they push the envelope to be their 
again, quote unquote, authentic self, mm -hmm. but they have to understand that they have to build up to that. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to kind of plant some seeds before they get there. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would say is they're impatient um, because they want it to happen today. Mm -hmm. And it, I have been practicing law for 35 years. It is not going to happen today. Mm -hmm. um, so they have to understand that every minute is a learning experience. I've had many young lawyers say, yeah, I'm just not really interested in staying here because I've been here a year and I just feel like there's nothing else for me to learn. And I'm like, that's absolutely could not possibly be true because I've been practicing law all these years and I still learn something every day. Mm -hmm. So it's just being still mm -hmm. and being calm mm -hmm. and knowing your audience enough to know how to play to certain things and how not to. Some women I see, are doing, they are knocking it out of the park. Others, I really feel like I... And I have pulled them aside to say, here's what I think you might need to do. Mm. And how, because I think that's also part of, in the conversations that I've had, a lot of the more senior black women are like, they don't do that sometimes because the response that they get from the younger people is kind of like, well, who do you think you are? Yeah. So how do you know when someone is coachable, right? Because that's one of the things that like people don't want to mentor people who are not coachable. So how can you, as someone who mentors, tell if a young woman is coachable or not? Well, I think... A, I think everybody's coachable. I think it's the way you communicate with them. It's mm -hmm. just like a child. You can't go to your child when they're angry and say, I told you to do this. It's just going to blow up into a big mess. Mm -hmm. It's the way you speak to people. It's mm -hmm. the way you communicate. Mm -hmm. You may just have to attack it a different way, mm -hmm. let them see it in a different light. Mm -hmm. um, someone once told me you should always dress for the job that you want or the next job that you want. Mm -hmm. uh, an African-American woman taught me that. Um, I get to my company now, they're very, very casual. Um, they live for Jean Day. They like they <laughs> live for Jean Day. And I got in there like, this is ridiculous. Uh -huh. <laughs> we're not doing and this. I'm, we're not doing this. And I come in and I'm professionally dressed. I, I'm not suited up, but I'm professionally dressed. And every day they're like, wow, you're always dressed up. And I'm like, no, I'm not dressed up. It's just that I feel professional in what I'm wearing. I don't feel pro professional in some jeans and a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel that. And so I think that, you know, you have to just come in and portray what you're trying to get. Yeah. So it's back to the coachable. It may be that you go to someone in a jean and T-shirt and say, here's where we are today. Or here's where I'm trying to get you. Let's mm. talk about how we get to that path. Mm. Get to where they are and kind of help them see it in a different light. Mm. I, again, I think everyone is coachable. Hmm. Um, so we talked. Huh. That's true. Because I wear, someone asked me, one of my uh, coworkers' mom asked if I was a Jehovah's Witness. She was like, because I've never seen her in pants. Every time I see her, she's always in like a cute work dress. And I'm like, well, because I'm at work. Like, what? I don't see you when I'm at home. But it's just like, she was like, is it a religious reason why she just doesn't wear pants? Because I'm like, no, I just feel comfortable in the dress. It's so funny. Um, so we, at the beginning, well, a little while ago, we talked about you being married and having two whole children. So how do you back into children? How do you balance it all, right? I think a lot of the time, like, one, how did you find time to even find a man in a highly kind of ambitious role that you're in? But two, how do you balance and make sure that you don't get lost in all of the other things that require you? I struggle with that. I will tell you, um, we, my, my husband and I just had our kind of morning meditation this morning where he was giving me an earful of, you need to stop saying yes. You need to, da, 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 da. and so I trust me, I struggle with it because 
I am a nurturer by just the way I am. I'm, I'm a yes person and I like to help. And mm-hmm. it sometimes is overwhelming. But I, I met my husband at the health club, actually. Um, Which one? <laughs> Ladies, listen, we're about, we about to get some real inside scoop here. I, it's no longer existed. Of course so, not. It's the of sporting course. club. Actually, it does. It's probably Lake, <laughs> the Lake Shore. Lake Shore up there uh-huh. by, by uh, Randolph. Yeah, it was the sporting club. Get at the a time. membership, ladies. And I was there, and he was playing basketball, and he mentioned that he had gotten sick um, at a restaurant that shall go unnamed. Actually, it's not no longer open, but. He got uh, food poisoning, and the lawyer, click, click, brain, brain, uh, clicked on, and I said, hmm. So I went over to him, and I said, hey, you should file a claim with them because you could probably get some money. I mean, that's ridiculous that you lost work. You had to go to the hospital. You had to get your stomach pumped. I just overheard your conversation. That's crazy. How long ago were th- was this when you were eavesdropping on this man oh, at the health um, We met. <laughs> See, it wasn't really <laughs> eavesdropping, but we met in 1995. Okay. Okay. So um, <laughs> I said, so give me a call if you'd like to file a claim. I'll oh, that's you. smooth. And he didn't call me for a month. And oh. he now tells the story that he went to his brother and said, I met this girl, this woman. I like, liked her, but I was traveling and I never um, I never called her back. And her, his brother's like, oh, you flew back. And so he did call me and we went out for a date and we've been together ever since. Did he ever file a claim? Nope. Never filed it. He's, he said, I'm not a litigious guy. Just don't. It wasn't that important. But thanks. You know, thanks for, for reaching out. So, yeah, it's been a great, very great ride. And how do you, um, because we just did a panel last week um, called Love on the Ladder, where we talked to five black female executives, yes. different place relationship about how do you navigate prioritizing that when you have, like, your relationship? Because at the end of the day, like, that's what you chose, I guess you chose your job too, but like, how do you make sure that like that and you're, like you're doing both well? So I, people say this all the time, but I'm a firm believer. We definitely have date night. Um, mm. My husband may forget date nights more than I, he may go, Oh yeah, we'll probably have a date night. But then when we do it, he goes, wow, this was so great. Thanks. Mm. So I'm usually the, the person who says, Hey, we need to do this. But He's like, yep, let's do it. And we really take try to take time to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, we're going out of town this weekend. It was supposed to be a family trip, my youngest, my husband and I. And um, she said, you know, I'm just overwhelmed with school. Just got back into mm-hmm. school. I have a test. I can't go on Friday. I'm not going. And I said, okay, I'll cancel it. Let's put it together. And my husband was like, yes. <laughs> and we started laughing because it was kind of like, we would love to have her with us. But however. Okay. <laughs> We now have a free weekend, and we're just going to hang out. So, you know, we just try to take the time when we can. So to the young, maybe newlyweds or young moms who are, you know, trying to balance it all, who maybe feel like, oh, I'm failing, like, what would you say to that woman? You're never failing. Just keep it going. Um, it is a struggle. It is no question. There have been days when I have been like, there's no way I can do this. That mm-hmm. I, I remember one very dark time. Um, my mom passed. Um, my job was crazy. I came home, I said, I'm quitting my job. My husband was like, oh, hold up, hold up. Let's talk about this. What do you mean you're quitting your job? But it was just kind of like I was overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So you get there, but you just have to put the other brain on. Sometimes, again, do some yoga, go for Mm -hmm. a walk. Mm -hmm. It's everybody's in the same boat. There's one thing I can say to everyone listening. Everyone is in this boat. You are not alone. Mm -hmm. And you can keep going. Just keep pushing through Mm -hmm. because it too will pass. 
and tomorrow will be a brighter day. I know that sounds like hallmarky, but it's really true. Mm-hmm. And so right now, one of the things that stresses me out the most is self-care, right? Because I feel like the messaging, the marketing right is like, self-care is important, blah, blah. And it's like, what are you supposed to be doing? So for you, what does self-care look like? Self-care for me is uh, really trying to exercise more. And I, um, I have really just signed on with um, a group that's we're trying to keep each other accountable. Mm. I need accountability. Mm-hmm. I got a Peloton sitting in my house and I'm like, okay, and what now? So <laughs> you I need someone it? sometimes, <laughs> but not as much as I should. Okay. So I need people to push me and okay. I need to push other people. And so I know from my own vantage point that the first level for me to feel good and to feel like I can think and to be healthier is to exercise. Okay. And so I need accountability. So I, created that okay i think the second thing is i really need to have fun do things that i enjoy and in in so doing i need to ensure that um i can i'm not usurping someone else's time or not giving time to my husband Mm -hmm. or but giving it to myself when i need it Mm -hmm. um i'm also um a big i love massages love, you know, all the stuff that women do. I do it. Mm-hmm. I just make a point. I put it on a calendar like you put anything else on a calendar and mm-hmm. you stick to it. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the importance of networking and how have you intentionally built your network, right? You, you have an accountability group that you've put together, but for you, like, what is your I'm not a sister circle, but like, what does your like support group look like and how have you intentionally like cultivated that? Um, they're friends, first of all. Okay. Anytime they're friends, you, to, to have a friend, you got to be a friend. Mm-hmm. So I'm not only looking to them for advice, but I'm offering it. I'm giving up myself and my time to anything mm-hmm. that they're doing mm-hmm. that is something that they're very interested or committed to. Um, I've created that group by like-minded people who are all kind of in the same struggle and who have an interest in wanting to be with me and mm-hmm. my family and mm-hmm. understand what we're all about. Are you all and in the same industry? No. Um, okay. One of my dearest friends, a banker. Um, one of um, another one is a doctor. I mm-hmm. mean, we all are just a, one of my daughter worked for one of my dearest friends, who's an elementary school teacher over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it, it just depends on where we have landed. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has become um, through our children. We've mm-hmm. met through our kids, and we were like. Yeah, it's really great that you met these kids, but we have become fast <laughs> friends because of it. Um, it is, it's also through the work. It's all, also through church. I've mm-hmm. met people through my church. Um, it's you name it, but it's really cultivating friendships. It's mm-hmm. just not going in saying, here's what I need from you, board of directors, but here's our group and how can we help each other? Mm-hmm. And then we talk about right now, you know, the, the, t- the concept of like women supporting other women. What does support look like for you? It's critical. Um, it's support when you get to a place where you say, who could be on this panel? Oh, I know somebody. It's support when you say, I have an opportunity, X, Y, or Z, and I need some help. Or it's also when you are in a position where you've had a loss of a loved one or you have a really bad scenario that happened at work and you call and you say, I need you right now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the give and the take. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a marriage, to be honest. It's the good and the bad, you know, the better or worse. It's taken all of that together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some real significant uh, 
bad things that have happened to some of my friends that I have been very engaged with in helping them work through it mm -hmm. um, and their children. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in the same scenario. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've hugged, I've looked at a friend of mine's daughter, who I consider my own, and just looked at her when she was at a bad point and she just broke down in my arms like mm -hmm. I was her mom. My kids have done the same for her. So those are people that I rely heavily on. Mm -hmm. And then I just know they're my mentor group because they got my back no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then I guess holistically, knowing what you know now about what it takes to like to succeed and excel, not to survive, but like to excel in corporate America, what would you say to maybe like a young black girl at Howard that she should be taking advantage now on campus? that could help that transition from school to corporate be a little easier. So I got to tell you, the one thing about corporate that I did not learn until I got there is it is all about the dollar. So whatever industry you're in, if you're in banking, it's easy. But if you're not in banking, you better learn the financial acumen. You need to understand how to do P&L. You need to understand all of the ins and outs of what makes a company tick from a financial perspective. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to really contribute, you need to understand what makes them tick. And mm. that's what make, makes a company tick, whether they're doing good or not. Um, I would also say that being transparent is huge. Um, walking in and letting folks see and get your ideas, not being that neat person, but coming up with ideas and really providing value. Um, one of my mentors once told me, always, whenever you speak, it should provide value. Don't just speak for speak's sake. Speak because you're providing value. In order to do that, the next thing I would say is you got to listen. you got to be listening. You have to be understanding what's happening so that you can provide the resources that they need. And then the last question before our lightning round is, what is the thing about the work or maybe like the body of your career that you're the proudest of or brings you the most joy? Really becoming a general counsel. I never thought I would be in this role. Um, when I started out in government, I was like, I'm just going to be a government lawyer. This is great. I love providing, love opening the paper and training all these young lawyers to tell them, when you open the paper, you work for the third largest city in the country. And, you know, I used to, this is my little speech to them. And everything you do here at the city of Chicago is in this newspaper. You're mm -hmm. impacting all of it from the taxes to the crime mm -hmm. to the properties to all of that. So feel good about your job and know that it's important and it's, in, you know, impacting the lives of Chicagoans. Love that. But at the end of the day, um, when I went in-house to be a general counsel and realized that I was uh, leading the legal efforts of an entire company, that was just mm. a culmination for me. And part of it was I kept telling myself I couldn't do it. Mm. I was like, oh, I don't get to do that. And in my last general counsel in the role before this one, told me, okay, you're ready. It's like, go fly, little butterfly. You're ready. And I was like, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. She's like, get out of my office. You're ready. And she really helped build a lot of bridges for me and teach me a lot about how to do this. And, you know, I, I got there. So um, it, for me, it was just because I didn't think I would ever get here. What? Why? Based on all of the great things that you did before, and this is something we talked about last week, too, like the imposter syndrome I felt that. I really did. I had to overcome that. But you had a track record of excellence. So what ha like what would have been mentally, what was the big gap that you had to fill? The gap was people telling me, you don't go from government to in-house. Mm. You need a transition from government to corporate. Like, you don't know corporate. You know, I, honest to God, my first corporate role, 
my husband would work in corporate many years, and we'd chuckle about this now. He used to drive me to work every day and tell me how I need to manage different scenarios. Mm. Because I would go, well, they're just not being fair, and I don't understand why they're doing that. And it seems like they have a different agenda. And he'd go, yeah, they do. <laughs> the and dollar, here's what it the is. The almighty dollar. And, I, he, and, you know, I just, he had to, like, shift my head to be corporate head. Because I was like, government, we're helping the people. It's the community, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, all right, I got <laughs> to get your head on straight. So literally he would drive me to work and I would give him scenarios and he would say, here's what I would have done. Here's how you need to manage this. He was like my coach. Mm. And it's because he had worked in corporate for so many years mm-hmm. that he just knew it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I know what to do. I'm going to help you. So it so was sweet. kind of imposter. It was like I knew I, I had the basis. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to make myself feel um, valued and, and be someone people would listen to mm. in the corporate arena. And it was the shift that made me go, okay, I can do this. I can enter a room and, and command it. I mm. can tell people what they need to understand. I can bring everybody together and get us to the goal. Mm. But um, there's definitely that imposter syndrome that sneaks up into your head that you got to shake out. Mm. Um, and so these next... Uh, questions or the lightning round questions. Don't think too much about them. It's okay, literally the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, what's one piece of career advice you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career? Not that I have burned a lot of bridges, but don't burn any unnecessary bridges. Don't make people, like, don't get in a fight with people that is just not necessary. Mm-hmm. Really save the fight for when it's really important because mm-hmm. tomorrow that person could be your boss. What's the lesson it took you the longest to learn but had the biggest impact on your career? Being patient. What's one book that you could read over and over again? The Red Tent. Absolutely love The Red Tent. Oh, I got to look that one up. Um, And lastly, we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you're not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? I hope they're saying she provides great value to our company. Um, She is a team builder. She understands our goals and objectives, and boy, she was so great to work with. And on that note, Dorothy, thank you so much for your time. Um, she is the co-founder of the Martha's Vineyards Comedy Fest, so if you, and it's in August. It is. It just happened. She has this gorgeous tan. Tenth year coming up. Tenth. August, and, so we all need to 16. go. Yes. My birthday's on August fourth. It could be my birthday party for next year. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. As you all know, I always like to end episodes with the top three things that I learned. And so here are the three that I took away from this episode with Dorothy. One, it's always important to learn how to build bridges for others. Two, um, knowing that this too shall pass. So a lot of the things that we stress over are not permanent. Just knowing that you will get through whatever it is, whatever season of you know career stress that you're going through right now, that too shall pass. And then also lastly, and most importantly, that for corporate, it's all about the dollar. So understanding what are the financial things that make your company thrive and figuring out ways that you can contribute to that in a meaningful way. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can subscribe to the mailing list by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866, or join us in our Facebook group at I, I Choose the Ladder, or on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.